this morning. Well, this morning, um, I want to introduce to you a young man who I've been walking with now for almost the last couple of years, and well, yeah, for the last couple of years, but really closely now for almost two years. And um, last year, Mike was up in the pulpit, and he, he was Johnny on the spot in my absence, and as I said earlier, he did a he did a fantastic job with delivering the word. And two weeks ago, Lance Howard was up. And so this represents for you all that don't know some of the leaders that are in training that are going to represent the next stage of our growth and development as a church. This young man is one of those men. And uh, Ryan, have I said to you before, I've watched your life. Um, I, I know... Um, your love that you have for Jesus and the love that you have for the scriptures. That must be God talking right there, is it? Um, you know, the one, one neat thing about my relationship with him is I don't know why, but every time I get him and Travis in the same room, I want to call him Travis. I just don't figure that out. I don't know. But, man, your heart after God and your, your, your desire for godly things um, inspires me as a young man. And so it's my privilege to welcome you to our pulpit. I know God's got a great word for you today and from you. Um, why don't we welcome Ryan Stevens to the pulpit today? Now, I've been crying. I've been snotting, but I'm going to put my hands on you right here. You can wipe it off later. Let's pray for Ryan. Father, thank you for the awesome privilege that it is to introduce this young man who I know that you've given a good word. And so I'm asking you that in this moment, as much as you can, you settle his spirits, you have him and allow him to walk right into what it is that you have for him to say in this moment for your people. And as always, we will be careful to give you the praise and the glory and all of the honor as you use Ryan today mightily in Jesus' name. And everyone that agree with that prayer said, Amen. Welcome, Ryan. Am I there? I'm there. <coughs> I was gonna say I think I can turn this thing on without squealing now. Uh, so this is a little. This is this is really new for me. Uh, surprise! It's the first time I've ever done this. Uh, <coughs> so I know you all showed up like expecting to hear Greg's polished senior teaching, but you get the rookie. Um, bear with me. Uh, you probably recognize me a little bit because I play on the worship team from time to time. It's easier for me. I can hide behind a guitar. Um, I can close my eyes. I feel like I, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys know this. Um, I should have had my cell phone on me, actually, to take a picture that we could have posted on the city. But uh, when you're playing worship and you're looking at everyone in the crowd, um, you get a very, different, a, a very different look of people, a very, very different view of people. Some of you are, everyone worships differently. There's not a wrong way. But some of you are like this. Many of you are like, and so it's really, it's, it's actually tougher than you think it is when you're on stage trying to keep your composure when people are like looking through you to a screen, kind of zombieing out. So no zombieing today. Uh, everybody take a deep breath and pep yourself up a little bit. Um, so the other day, I'm, I'm just going to dive right in. The other day I was driving to work. Uh, I work at Providence and I live in Eagle River. So I was driving down the Glen Highway, came around the corner by Fort Rich and kind of see downtown into downtown Anchorage. There's and the moon catches my attention. There's this huge moon. Nate, you put it up. Maybe, maybe not. You'll see it. No, no, come on. There you go. Okay. 
<clears throat> All right, so there's this huge moon. It really catches my attention. It was a harvest moon kind of hanging over downtown. Uh, the color was so golden, kind of golden brown. You could see every little crevice and mountain in it. It was beautiful. So I got to work at Providence, and I drove up onto the top of the parking garage, and I was going to try to take a picture of it with my cell phone so I could show my coworkers and everybody, oh, did you see that moon? So I get up there, and I take the picture, and it, of course it doesn't look great. I'm not the only one that's ever tried to do this, right? Like try to take a picture of Mount McKinley with your iPhone. and <laughs> Yeah, so I took a few pictures, and none of them turned out good. I, you couldn't have Instagrammed that good. So I just deleted them all because the fact of the matter was they didn't really show the, the true view of the original. And once I'd seen the original, the picture would never really have had value to me. So now I want you to consider this. So consider if you had never seen the moon before, but one of your friends came up to you with the picture of the moon on the cell phone, uh, this picture on the cell phone. You've never seen the moon before, so you've never seen the first one. You don't understand the grandeur. So you think this is pretty awesome, right? It gives you the idea. You can see it's circular. You can see, oh, it's really bright against a dark sky. In this picture, there's some trees kind of hanging low in the picture, so you can ma might be able to get an idea of how big it was. The picture is valuable to you at the time, but it's valuable because you haven't seen the original. So now fast forward, and you're me standing on the top of the parking garage at Providence looking at that first picture. Nate, back up. Now that you've seen that, the picture's not the same. It doesn't have the same value. It doesn't mean the same thing that it meant to you at one point. So this is, is what I think that the, the author of Hebrews is really trying to say through Hebrews 9, which is our text for today. So he's really trying to show the people that he's writing to that the old covenant is just a copy. It was always intended to point to the original, which is the new covenant, which is Jesus. Um, so to put this in context a little bit, I think it's really interesting. The people, the Hebrews from Hebrews that were getting the text, that were receiving the message. These people had lived in an interesting frame of mind. They lived in the copy for so long that they started to think that maybe it was the original. They lived by the law as they were instructed, right? They were instructed under the old covenant. So they lived by the law, but they'd become entrenched in its realities. And they started to think and lose focus of the prophecy and the promise of a savior and think that the work of their hands is really the original. So the author's pleading with them that now that they've seen the original, the copy will never really look the same or hold the same value to them. Now again, remember, these people had lived under the old covenant for most of their life and the new covenant for just a short time. So what's interesting is I, I kind of liken the state of their mind to that of a kid that thinks he has a really valuable baseball card right at the moment someone tells him it's fake. There's that temptation to fall back to the old, to say, no, it's not fake, it's not fake, this is the original. There was that temptation to go back and say, no, it's the work of my hands, it's not Jesus. I have to keep living under the old covenant. This doubt in this, the doubt of that reality is exactly what I think the author is addressing. So the history of the, of the text aside, in today's day and age, what I think is really interesting is now that you can start to see through in Hebrews 9 that the Old Covenant and the New Covenant aren't mutually exclusive, but they're actually intertwined so intensely that the Old Covenant just sets the stage for the New. As I studied this for the last couple weeks, I really came to the conclusion, which some of you are going to, maybe, maybe you'll laugh at this, but the conclusion that the story has always been about Jesus, 
So, again, some of you are like, well, yeah, Ryan, the Bible's about Jesus. This is going to be a long 30 minutes. But, but what I mean is, is the story of humanity from the beginning of time, from before we were even created, the story was about Jesus. The pre-Old Covenant era was about Jesus. The Old Covenant was about Jesus. The New Covenant is about Jesus. He was and is and always will be God's plan for the redemption of his people. So that's to say that as we go through Hebrews 9 and we examine all the copies that are present from the Old Covenant and look at the original of the New Covenant, you can see that the value is different once you've seen the New versus when you just held the Old. So let me geek out for a second. I'm an infectious disease pharmacist at Providence. If you don't know what that means, that's okay. I didn't really know what that meant that long ago either. So uh, if you want to know more, come talk to me. I love to talk about it. Uh, But basically... I deal with drugs every day that are used to fight disease, specifically infectious diseases. So this kind of gives you a little bit of a glimpse into the way my mind works. A few of the principles of a drug that we look at in the ability of a drug's efficacy to fight disease is its penetration or access into tissues, how long it stays there or its duration, and both of those two pieces define its efficacy. So you can see access, duration, lead to efficacy. Now access and duration are pretty easy to understand. I think they're pretty easy to grasp, but efficacy is where it might get a little hazy. I got dry mouth already. So just so we're on the same page, um, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. The definition of efficacy is the ability to produce a desired or intended effect. So in terms of today's discussion, we're talking about the covenant's ability to produce the desired or intended effect of the redemption and salvation of God's people. So as we look at these copies, I'm going to break them down for you, three of them. As we break them down, every single one of them, we're going to break down the copy versus the original. We're going to look at its duration, its access, and its overall efficacy. So let's start by reading Hebrews 9, 1 through 10. This is the ESV version. If you have your Bibles, hold them up. If you don't have your Bibles, bring them next time. If you held up your phone, that might count. So Hebrews 9, 1 through 10 says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship, an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense. And the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding manna and Aaron's staff that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant, Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot not now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and him only but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So out of verses 1 through 10, we see that the first copy is that of the temple or tabernacle. Now I imagine, given the the description of this, that it must have been a real sight to see uh, with all of its structure and intricacies and the decor, so to speak, that were housed inside. For the Jews, 
remember, it would have been even more interesting because they were practicing under the Old Covenant, and what's housed inside this tabernacle is all of the real historical elements of their faith to this point. So now let's consider access, because the sad fact of the matter is that most of those Jews never would have seen the inside of the temple, and they never would have seen these things. There was a small subset of priests that were chosen to serve in the first section, maybe five or seven, but only the the high priest would enter the most holy place, and only once a year. I think this really shows us that God and man at that time were standing on two separate sides of a gap. As long as the old covenant was in play, all of God's people would never have full access into the most holy place. Then entered Jesus, Emmanuel, meaning God with us, who lived in order to bridge that gap for all of us. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word that's used for dwelt in this passage literally translates to to pitch a tent. You see, Jesus is the original tent or tabernacle. God pitched his tent among us. He dwelt with us. Jesus is quite literally our access to the Father. You see the imagery? You see the copy? Don't zombie out on me. You see the copy? You see the original? Verse 8 says that by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. Now let's remember back that when Jesus dies on the cross, the veil in the temple, that big thick veil that separates the holy of holies, the most holy place from all of God's people is torn in two. Now anyone who wants to walk through the tear is given access. Jesus is quite literally our access. So now let's consider duration. We're talking about a tent. Uh, A couple years ago, my father and brother-in-law were in town, and we decided we were going to go down and fish on the Kenai for a day, and then they wanted to see dip netting because it's kind of uniquely Alaskan. So we decided we'd stay overnight and go dip netting, and uh, I took a buddy with us, and my buddy said, no, I got the perfect tent. We can all sleep in it. Trust me, everything's going to be fine. Problem is, this tent, (laughs) I'm fairly certain was bought like Kmart in the 1970s. And you could lay on your back and see daylight in the tent, and you knew it was going to be bad. And I'd never seen lightning and thunder in the state of Alaska until that night as I watched it come in off the ocean, and we got hammered with a storm that showed me just how permanent a tent is. So... um, this is, this is exactly what it is, right? The tabernacle was a tent. It was never intended to be permanent. So now some of you are thinking, well, what about the temple? The temple's made of stone. Okay, well, the earthly temple could be destroyed. Several actually were over the course of history because it's only a copy. Jesus defeated death. He defeated destruction of his earthly body, proving that the original was not nor was ever intended to be temporary. Think of it like this. Someone could bulldoze Bartlett High tonight after we leave. They could knock the place to the ground. The students on Monday would be bummed, but this body would remain intact, right? Because it isn't Bartlett High that unites us. It's the permanent and living temple of Jesus Christ that unites us here. So when we consider the efficacy of the copy versus the original and that the intended effect of God's covenants with his people was really relationship with himself, We see that the copy lacked what the original was intended to do. It could never give full access, 
And even then, the access that it did give to the one guy who got access was really just a man standing in a tent. But Jesus gave us all direct access to God. What's really interesting is as we go forward in Hebrews 9, the most holy place is now referred to as the most holy places, meaning that we all have access to a most holy place. There is no most holy place because everyone's been given access through Jesus to the Father. The second copy that I want to look at is that of the blood sacrifice of animals. So we'll start by reading Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, then how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So now, don't get me wrong as we break this down. The old covenant served a purpose. Animal sacrifice served a purpose. In fact, it was all the people that were living under that covenant had to deal with. So you have to keep that context in mind as we break this down a little bit. After all, the Old Covenant did set the stage for the New Covenant. It got all of God's people speaking the same language. So what did the law and animal sacrifice really show us? Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, but rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, the law made us aware of our sin, and established that blood was was the required payment. I imagine what a gruesome sight the, the Day of Atonement must have been. Literally everything on the Day of Atonement was covered in blood. The tent was covered in blood. I imagine the high priest was covered in blood. The, the Everything, the altar, everything was soaked in blood. Leviticus 17.11 says, The life of a creature is in the blood. So by offering blood, you're ending a life. It's here that we begin to see that through ending a life, through death, that is the payment for our sin. Whether it's the blood of an animal, whether it's your own blood, or whether it's the blood of a savior. An animal's blood was always the copy. Verses 13 and 14 say that the blood of animals could purify the flesh, but not the conscience. See, it provided incomplete access for all of a person to live in relationship with God. So although the sin had already been paid for, it still weighed heavy on your mind and likely prevented you from really experiencing a real relationship with the Father that can only be found through the sacrifice of his unblemished son, Jesus. Also, when we think about duration, the offering of an animal's blood was a temporary fix, right? It was a band-aid for sin. It was really only intended to atone for two types of sin, unintentional that had already been committed, unintentional, already committed. So how this kind of worked, right, is you walked to the temple, covered in sin, probably very sad. You offer a sacrifice, blood is shed, maybe for a small amount of time, 
you're cleansed of that sin. Outwardly, not your conscience, as we've already heard. And then the second you turn to walk away, you have more sin that would require more sacrifice. The blood sacrifice of an animal was temporary. It had an inadequate duration, and it was always the copy that pointed to the original, the more superior blood of Christ. Hebrews 9 says that he secured an eternal redemption so that we may receive an eternal inheritance. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but nothing about the word eternal indicates that this was supposed to be a temporary ordeal. Just so we're all on the same page, the definition of eternal is lasting or existing forever without beginning or end. So this is what I thought was interesting. I was looking at the synonyms of this in the dictionary when I was looking this up. Here's some synonyms for eternal. Everlasting, never-ending, perpetual, permanent, boundless, timeless, infinite. These are my three favorite, and I swear these are in there. I did not make this up. Undying, immortal, and abiding. You see, the blood of animals may have washed a little bit of sin away for a little bit of time, but it had its limitations. I have a two-year-old son, and he's not a super messy eater, but I'm a neat freak. And I've, you guys that know me are like, shocker. So uh, he, his hands, man, when he eats, oh, they get so nasty. And I know he's going to like run and touch all my stuff. And he's going to leave sticky little handprints everywhere. So, so let me ask you this. When he's done eating, is it best for me to wash one of his fingers every hour until his hands are clean? or to wash both of his hands all at once before I give him full access to my house. (laughs) Such is true of God's plan to cleanse our sin. The blood of Jesus does just that. It washes away all of our sin for all time so that we can gain access. He became our sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. We can stand before God covered in the righteousness of Christ and as a result, gain full access to him. Jesus is the original and provides the efficacy that the copy could never have provided. So the last copy that I want to look at is really the whole kind of overarching theme of this chapter. And that's the the theme of the old covenant, your own acts to gain relationship with God, versus the new covenant, being given relationship with God. So let's read Hebrews 9, 16 through 28. Bear with me, this is a long stretch. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but for the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, 
as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood that is not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment, so picture of access, duration, and efficacy than that. Lance, why don't you go ahead and bring your team back up? So after all this, you're thinking, oh, great, Ryan, 28 verses, and you broke down the history for me. You showed me these copies. That's great. But what does it really mean for me? What does it really mean for us today, now? Well, now that we've looked at what the Scripture says, and we've taken a good long look at the original plan for God's redemption of us as his people, let's take a look at our own lives. Let's look specifically for all of the copies. What is it in your life that's trying to convince you that it can get you better access? Or that it is more permanent than the promises of God and the sacrifice of his son? That it will finally complete you. If I only had fill in the blank, then I'd be complete. Then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be content. Then I'd finally be happy. Maybe it's money. Pretty common one. Maybe a life filled with either lack or surplus is giving you the idea that you can buy your way in. That if I only had a little bit more money, then I'd really have what I needed for longevity or for safety or for satisfaction. Well, let me tell you, it's a copy. It can't do what the original does. Replace it with the original. Maybe it's the approval of others. Maybe you've convinced yourself that somehow if you're in with the in crowd, if you're hanging with the cool kids, that that's what's going to get you access, that that's all the access you really need. Maybe it's if I only could date her, if I could only date him, if I could only get that job and hang with those people, maybe that's what you think access is. It's a copy. It can't do what the original was ever intended to do, replace it with the original. Or maybe we're all churchgoers. Maybe we're just like the Hebrews. Maybe it's the work of our own hands. Maybe you're convinced that if I could just go to church more, be more regular, if I could just give more money or give more time or be in one more small group, maybe that's what you think is going to make you more pleasing to God. He's already pleased. Mm-hmm. It's already, the fight has already been fought. It's a copy. Replace it with the original. So now I want to encourage you guys to dig deep. Really look into yourselves. Find the copies and replace them with the original. Because by the perfect and unblemished blood of Jesus Christ, you have been offered access permanently. The question is, are you willing to walk through the torn curtain? It no longer stands in your way. So really the question I guess we're talking about is, if you've you've ever... Why would you ever settle for the copy when you can have the original today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, glory be to your name. Thank you that you sent your son to walk perfectly amongst us and to 
pay all of our debt with his own blood. You are all that we need, God, and access to you is all that we need. You are enough. You are enough for us. Help us to sort out all of the copies in our lives. Help us to identify the things that are trying to convince us that somehow they offer better or more than that is the true and pure access to you. I pray that this body won't be fooled by any copies anymore, but that they would hold tightly to the original. I pray that this week they'll go boldly about their lives as living evidence of your existence and grace and mercy. Help them to grasp the original and pass it on to those around them. Protect them this week. Bring them back safely next. It's in your son's pure and matchless name.